When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Irish Illustrated Insider, sponsored by Anderson, Augustino, and Keller Attorneys at Law. Big firm experience, small firm attention. For more, contact them at aaklaw.com. Finally, gentlemen, this is Tim Priester with Pete Sampson and Tim O'Malley, and it is game week, and it's 48 hours away. And um, I think Notre Dame is ready to play a football game. I know Temple is as well. What do you guys think? (laughs) Yes. I'm, I'm certainly ready to sure stop not. talking about the preseason. Uh, you know, I think Brian Kelly sort of kind of cut both ways earlier in the week where he said, you know, hey, you want more practice? And I never felt like, oh, God, I just want to play right now. And then two minutes later was talking about how his roster is ready to play right now. Um, I think that overall Notre Dame is in a pretty good spot. They're healthy, relatively speaking, probably as yep. healthy, if not healthier, than they've ever been, I think, under Brian Kelly. They haven't had anything that interesting happen all off offseason uh, in terms of departures. They've had some, but they've all been sort Good. of 60 and below on the scholarship uh, rankings. So, I mean, Notre Dame goes into the season with even fewer excuses than usual uh, about <laughs> any reason why they, they can't come out and play smart, clean football out of the gate. I expect them to play... Passionate football, pretty clean football. It is an opener, so you don't have to be perfect in that situation. And honestly, if they don't, it's there's zero excuse. It's nine months of <laughs> being told you were four and eight. You're telling everybody you're not a four and eight team. The culture's changed. This is and it's and look, Temple's fine, but you're, you're not opening with Florida State. You can go play football and win this game and be impressive. But most of all, it should be sixty minutes of obvious. You want to be out there playing football and doing everything you can to hammer an opponent. They are an inferior opponent. Yeah, they. It's, well, I mean, they're not yeah. terrible. I mean, but they're this an inferior is opponent. A, this is a. Uh, it's. It has to be a rebuilt Temple team. They've won twenty games in the last two years. They have a new head coach. They basically. Have, well, they definitely have a new quarterback. They have a whole new front seven basically on defense. Yeah, that, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. There are no excuses, and, and we've now heard from, uh, with regard to Notre Dame's defensive line and how the media has underestimated that front, we've heard that from Brian Kelly, we've heard it from Mike Elko, we've heard it from Jay Hayes, and yesterday we heard it from Mike McGlinchey, an offensive lineman. So, uh, you know, I mean, we're 48 hours away from the the talk ending and uh, them having to put that in action, and I agree. There are no excuses, and I don't, you know, I mean, I don't think that they're prepared to use any excuses. No. Imagine being, you know, I mean, a, a guy like McGlinchey, for example, who takes such great pride in being a Nordic football player and being a leader of, of the program. It's been nine months, and he's had to deal with it. And then you also factor in the the sacrifices and the price that that this team has paid working with a new strength and conditioning coach and taking things to a to a, a higher level. There are no excuses, and I don't think that they're prepared to use any. No, and I think that you know when you look back at some of Notre Dame's best openers um 
the fact that the staff has shuffled has really had very little to do with it. I mean, they had a big staff turnover in 2012, right. and that was their best opener by far. It was their best uh, team by far. That helps. And but I mean, they played clean football yeah. despite a new quarterback. Um, I believe that would have been a new offensive line coach, um, new offensive coordinator. Defense coordinator was the same. And then some shifting. Yeah, but some were... shifting around on the staff. Um, so there's really no reason that they can't come out and play clean against Temple, um, even with the distraction of the Jumbotron. Which I don't know. The, the depth chart came out on Tuesday. I don't think that there were any real great shocks other than... Uh, Freddie Canteen, the first string, was surprising to me, I guess. Yeah, but we saw him. I, I know, we saw him first team you, the whole did time. Did you think that he would be on top of one of the receiver positions when it all shook I did, out? I did after after the scrimmage a couple Sundays ago. I did at that point. I guess, you know, I don't see in Freddie Canteen what they've seen, but, you know, we haven't had the opportunity to, to, to witness what he's done all that was. I think the one that was the only surprise maybe to me on the depth chart was Freddie Canteen. And... I know, I know that when we saw the first practice in Culver, the starting receivers were St. Brown, Canteen, and Cam Smith, and the starting receivers on the final depth chart are St. Brown, yeah. Freddie Canteen, and Cam Smith. What did you think? Fink was going to I be the starting I thought Fink, line? or maybe you know they had worked Claypool there yeah. a little bit. Um, so that And that was something that I wrote a story on that for today. I talked to Julian Love and uh, Eklamini St. Brown about Canteen, just like, okay, what happened there? Because... Um, he just wasn't a guy that I thought that some of the younger guys that had been in at least at Notre Dame for more than three months would win that job. And he doesn't have the inherent advantage Cam Smith, Smith does. Yeah. Exactly. You know, he didn't play in Chip Long's offense or a variant of Chip Long's offense uh, and work under Dell Alexander. So that that was a surprise to me. I mean, I, I did note this in the story. I think this you need to keep this in mind that the slot receiver is going to come out when they go to two tight ends. And I talked to Durham Smythe about that. As well, I said, okay, I know that you started camp with oh, so multiple tight ends. This is so exciting doing something else. Like, did it actually stick that way? And he's like, oh, yeah. I mean, we have two tight end sets. You know, it's not just one guy playing the whole time and the other guy getting two plays, um, which is what happened to him a few years ago. And he also said, look, we've got three tight end sets. We've got four tight end sets, and we just want to kill it on those plays so we can make that our base offense. We, we certainly haven't seen a lot of it. We didn't see hardly. Did we see any of that in the last scrimmage? Uh, I mean, well, I mean, they did yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's red zone goal line. Yeah, yeah three I mean, tight ends was only goal line short right. lighted. Two tight ends was out in the open field. I think uh, you'll see over fifty percent of the snaps on Saturday. Two tight end sets, as opposed to a spread with three or six. Well, I you know, I'm not saying I would. 60. I'm saying I, there'll be. More. I would applaud that yeah. because you're facing a very inexperienced front seven. Actually, yeah. let me rephrase that more than the other sets. You have two backs, yeah. you have two tight ends, you have You're two receivers. Track that. that would be, yeah, yeah track that. I am. That's interesting <laughs> to me. The first, uh, so in other words, it could be like 40% two tight ends, 30% three receivers, 10% two backs. and what, You know what I'm saying? I think two tight ends will be on the field more than any other formation. A plurality, I think, yes, of two think tight end sets. Is that the word yes. we're looking for? And three tight end sets counts. Oh, okay. Yes. Well, then yes. then it's going to be a layup. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I think I'd like to see a 50-50 mix in the open field, you know, first and 10, like, not obvious downs one or the other where they're in two tight end sets. Um, you know, if you have some rotation there, but also I think you got to factor in, okay, what about two back sets? Does that, does a two back set become a two tight end set as well? Probably not. Um, I think that would be a two receivers, one tight end, two backs type of situation. I'm, I'm curious about that. I mean, that's something that I, well, that would be a pro set would be. One yeah. Tight end I'll be charting that. that as well. I'm, I've 
those, you know, the things that I'm most interested to see are how personnel groups come out on offense, um, what kind of rotation there is at the wide receiver position, what kind of rotation they have in the defensive backfield, and what kind of rotation they have on the defensive line. I'm, I'm very interested to see how they use Chase Claypool because we, I, I also heard, since we saw that last scrimmage, some more good things about Claypool in practice. On the depth chart, he's, li- he's listed behind Equinemius St. Brown. I doubt that that's... I doubt that he's going to have to sit when St. Brown's on field, which would be a vast majority of the time. And I think that's we'd why say two. T- yeah, I mean, I don't know that you necessarily have to go to two tight ends if one of your inside slot guys is Chase Claypool. That's true. They, I, you know, I mean, I think that that will that will um, you know mix it up in there with the double tight ends. And I talked to St. Brown yesterday, uh, just sort of about the the jumbling of the wide receivers, and he said, "Look, they wanted everyone to learn all the positions so you can move around." And then sort of track into like maybe where your strengths are. So just because St. Brown and Claypool have the same strengths doesn't mean that Claypool can't play something right. else. Um, so I think we'll see him play something else. You got to line up somewhere. This is, I mean, you got to line up somewhere for practice reps and slotting. It's not that doesn't work out that way in the game. I mean, CJ Procise originally wasn't listed on a depth chart. He played everywhere. The, the Jeff Collins would disagree. Yeah. He That's just right. put him up as above the line. How about well, those guys that are not of, above yes. the line? Speaking of, yeah. <laughs> speaking of Jeff Collins and, and uh, the, he's, by the way, Temple he's, head he's coach. Temple's head coach. He is Temple's head coach, the former Florida defensive coordinator, and we were uh, laughing at, making fun of this ridiculous thing that's going on now in college football. It's not just Jim, Jim Harbaugh. Jeff Collins doesn't have a depth chart. He has... Above the line, ATL. Those are it's those that are ready to play and those that aren't. I just don't see. It's to me, it's overthinking it. Uh, it's also an inconvenience for the media, so maybe that's why. <laughs> that, that's why it bothers me so much. But uh, you know, once you play a game or two or three, it's all out there. It, the film is there as to who you're using, personnel wise, and not listing a depth chart doesn't hurt or doesn't. Uh, you know, conceal from your opponent, your key personnel. So I don't get it. But anyway, he's got some, he does have a, you know, he's got a new quarterback, uh, several new quarterbacks. It likely will be Frank Newtile to start, but we'll see. I'm sure we'll see I'm sure more we'll see than two. one. They're best players offensively. They've lost some good offensive linemen, including uh, uh, Deion Dawkins, a second rounder last year. Um, they have a red shirt freshman at center. So it's a great opportunity for Jerry Tillery, but their strength is their, their receiving core, uh, led by Ventel Bryant and Keith Kirkwood, and I, there's no doubt we're going to see them take a shot uh, down the middle of the field to test Notre Dame safeties. Yeah, shots. shots. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think there's much doubt about that. Um, they do have three new starters returning on the offensive line, but Dawkins being one of the uh, guys that is gone, and the center. Um, I would expect them to have some of the chemistry issues on their offensive line like Notre Dame had last year with two new starters. You would think, I, you know, for a program that probably couldn't withstand it, they probably had the largest talent drain over a two-year period. Obviously, Ohio State has a bigger talent drain. It doesn't matter. Temple's talent drain right. for a they program can't that can't withstand it. it. They lost pros yeah. and excellent college players that won't be pros. I don't think they are... That's kind of why I say this is something you, you cannot lose if you're Notre Dame, even though Temple may end up being a seven or eight win team, right? Would, would you be stunned if Temple goes eight, seven and six? It's not that no. out of the realm of possibility or eight and five. No. So well, I'm saying they're not a four and eight, three and nine team. No. They're, um, they're but they, they've lost a lot and they will, should not be as good now as they are in November. Either. There should be a, a 
Matt Rule is a really, really good coach. So there should be sort of an afterglow there yeah. with the way things have been assembled there and built and taught and the fundamentals and just sort of the expectations of like, well, this is how you do your job here. And that's has been good enough to win 10 games each of the two years. So despite all that roster turnover, I think it's be good enough to win seven games this year. Yeah, and Collins and Rule have history um, together. They coached at two different spots along the way. So, and, and they stay in constant communication. So, I wouldn't say he was groomed for the job, but I, right. I think he certainly came in prepared. It's not a change culture. No, it's, right, right. Yeah, it's adapting. it's adapting to. I feel like it, if but, Notre Dame hired Chuck Martin next year. Yeah, that's. I think that's a good way of putting next it. But year. but uh, you know, Tim <laughs> talking right about yeah. <laughs> After four games into the season, Notre Dame has a new head coach. Uh, you know, the losses from last year. I mean, they lost a couple defensive ends that had thirty-two and a half tackles for loss. Right. You know, that's. Significant. They lost Jihad Thomas, a running back who had 953 yards rushing and 13 touchdowns. But uh, Reichwell Armstead had similar numbers, and he he is back. But from the previous year, Tyler Matakevich, um, they lost first-team all-conference center uh, Kyle Friend, Eric Lofton. This is after 2015. And then you throw um, you know Philip Walker, who was a 47-game starter uh, at quarterback. It's, it's just a different... Temple team, and I'm sure they they do have a winning culture. I'm sure they have a lot of confidence as an organization, but there's going to be a lot of individuals out there that haven't been put on the spot before. Yeah, I, you know, to get back to sort of what we're looking at with Notre Dame, it sort of gets back to your deep shots that Temple would probably have to take with a new quarterback or not. And we asked Julian Love yesterday, okay, well, how much safety do you think you're going to play? And he's like, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I, hopefully they won't need me. Um, I, I feel great about the safeties that we have. So I, I do wonder at some point, does he just move? Um, what happens on Saturday probably will dictate that. Uh, if Nick Coleman and Jalen Elliott really show up and surprise, then I think Notre Dame's defensive backfield might be in okay shape. Because um, I just think they need to be okay at safety. That would be an upgrade. It's sort sounds, of like it's, it's, it's sounds, sort of like on yeah. special teams. Like you don't need to I didn't be mean, like vintage Frank Beamer special teams. You just be like, okay, don't yeah. lose a game on special teams. Don't run yourself out of a play at safety. Yeah, it's funny that we keep being told that we're wrong about the defensive line, but nobody says <laughs> that we're wrong about the safeties. <laughs> mm. <laughs> nobody has refuted that notion yeah, yet. That's a an uncomfortable revelation you've stumbled across there, Priester. A couple of things to look for Saturday from personnel. I think the guy, it's not the shiny new toys. Everybody wants to see Tony Jones, especially me, who had him in his top ten, and Alizé Mack. Gary uh, Tillery is the most important guy to watch, I think, because as Pete said, he can't just be, hey, Gary Tillery is a good, sound college football player now as a junior. He's got to be better than that. You mentioned going up against a redshirt freshman, and that helps. It's going to get harder for Tillery before it gets easier um, with, with what's on tap. I think Tommy Kramer is obviously the guy you want to see on the other side have a solid game. Um, you know, if, if he gets beaten once on third and 12, an obvious pass protection, that's okay. It's not okay to constantly be getting beaten in third and four or something where you should have a mini advantage. The defense doesn't know what's coming. It, look, it's hard to stand back there and protect on third and 12 for a rookie in his first game. So I wouldn't judge him on that. There's a lot you can judge him on. over. No, you can game, judge but. him the following week when Georgia brings in their <laughs> 10 returning starters on defense and they're coming at him from... from uh... From all angles. Notre Dame wins if, Notre Dame loses if. You know, Notre Dame loses if. I'm not going to go... The deep shot thing, I think, is part of it, but I also think it's tackling back there. I think if you catch 
when they they're going to catch a twenty yard post route on these safeties, you make the tackle. I mean, we saw when you're bouncing off guys and they're making plays downfield, that's the problem. You have to have Nick Coleman, Jalen Elliott wrapping up because I do think. I mean, look, they're going to complete some passes. It's not like it's you just got to limit that stuff. Uh, there's they gave up. I think it was seven touchdowns last year, seven passing touchdowns in September in four games, and at least five of them were either blown assignments or missed tackles. It's just a there's a couple touchdowns like Donnie Corley's leaping catch, whatever. He made a great play. But you, you, you could withstand those. You can't withstand bad fundamental mistakes in the secondary. I think that would keep this game close. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the, the Kramer part is, you know, if you have a weak leak on the offensive line, suddenly I think things start to fall apart and you don't. Because I, I do think Notre Dame's offense is going to have to score a ton of points this year for Notre Dame to, to overachieve. But um, yeah, this I, year, I, not Saturday as necessary. Yeah, not Saturday. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, because Temple should the, not the reach the Temple should not reach the twenties offensively. No, the roll the ball out there, Van Gorder theory I have is gone. No team, no team signs up with four touchdowns anymore. <sighs> oh, the old theory, <laughs> yeah. retired. Yeah, it's retired. Yeah, well, so, I'm glad to have that theory behind yeah. us. Yeah, so safety safety play, I think, is probably yeah. the Notre Dame loses if safety play is really poor. Um, but I think that also look, Brandon Wimbush, we got to give him a little leeway here. Sure. That he doesn't yeah. need to come in like Deshaun Kaiser. Junior year or redshirt sophomore year, I should say. He had a really tough beginning, yeah. actually, other than one throw to Sean Kaiser. So yeah, it was... um, you know, it's like Brandon Wimbush is going to have some ups and downs. So if he turns the ball over a couple times on Saturday, would that surprise you? I don't think that it should. No, at no point during the season should we be surprised if he goes through a period where, you know, if he has a three interception game. I don't. That, although he is Saturday though. Not, well, Saturday. he is facing the one aspect of Temple's defense is their secondary's experience, and it's a good group. If he has a three interception game, that's not only on Brandon Wimbush. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know I what I'm, saying? I'm not okay. saying he's yeah. not going to have that this no, week. No, you, think can't, you I, can't manage him as a coach and coordinator and let him have a three interception game this week. That's that's a, that's a good point. I, I mean, I want to see Notre Dame. I want to see Notre Dame run the football and yes. and show its physical superiority. I mean, that's that's why that's one of the reasons why Chip Long is here. I mean, in addition to some other things, tempo and 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 some varieties that he adds it adds to the offense. But that's one of the reasons he's here. I want to see them run the football. I don't think that they I don't think they lose unless unless they play a sloppy, turnover filled penalty filled game. And I don't think that they're going to play that way this week. All right, predictions. I've been on thirty four seventeen for most of the summer. Um, that was a cover originally. I thought they would cover when it was thirteen or fourteen point spread. Uh, it's up to like eighteen and a half now, seventeen and a half. I don't. I'm not going to raise it. So I guess I don't have them covering. But thirty four seventeen in a good solid win. Not blowout. Not thirty four nothing or anything like that. But a good solid win. Uh, I'm more in the thirty four twenty four group. I. I I don't think it's going to feel like there's a lot of game pressure at the end of the game. That's key. Um, you don't have that, right? I don't think it's going to feel like the game's over at halftime either. I don't either, but I think it will not. Ha- they will not have a chance in the fourth quarter to win Temple. Yeah, I don't. Okay. I don't feel like it's going to have that kind of vibe. I, I, I feel like it's a Temple scores on Notre Dame's twos okay. to make yeah. it thirty-four twenty-four. Sure. But I don't think. I think Notre Dame's. They're they're not going to be so far in front that people are going to be like, ah, forget it. It's, you know, don't mean anything. I'll have my prediction with the preview, but I'm I'm working with the number thirty four to fourteen right now. I think the, the when the line went from fifteen and a half to seventeen and a half and eighteen, uh, that's an indicator. Now, point spreads in opening games are right. all over the place, and that's where the lines move the most. But 
I think that says something that that's saying that money it's you know the sharps are going on uh, putting the money on on Notre Dame and boy I if, Pete you said 24 points uh, even if that's the second team I think that would be a really disappointing first performance considering what Temple has coming back offensively the second team defensive line though isn't stopping anybody uh, well, presumably that second team defensive line is going against Temple's second team. Oh, no, they're still trying. Okay. The first string. Yep. All right. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Temple's going to do that. Okay, well, then I don't think Temple's first unit should score 17 points for through the first right. three quarters. Uh, but, you know, maybe I'm overvaluing Notre Dame's defense now with everything that's come, come out of Notre Dame's way, including the coaching staff. But uh, it's, re- it's a, you know, it's, a, it's the kind of matchup you want in your first game. It's certainly not, not a gimme. Uh, but I think it's a great opportunity for Notre Dame's defensive front seven to gain some confidence and have success against a, a rebuilt offensive line with a new quarterback. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, if it, if Notre Dame wins 34-3, that's not going to be stunning to yeah. me. Because um, yeah. I do think Temple's offense has the potential to just fall completely apart. In part because Notre Dame's defense will be better, but in part that Temple has some major quarterback problems. Yeah. But... Uh, like I, I just I've been to too many Notre Dame games where the opponent scores in the twenties, uh, and I, I just think this this yeah. this won't like that, most it, of the it, last fifty. It won't shock. That's why one of them. That's why it's so great. I, I mean, we just can't wait till the games come because we have the preconceived notion of the Brian Van Gorder led defense, and even though he was gone for the last eight games of the year, was still the one that he had developed and. Yeah, there's still points given up. Yeah, I mean, we I want mean, to see a team that doesn't give up a lot of points against a, a. They're not even a power five. I almost missed a book again. They're close. You know, Navy and Temple are quality football programs at this point. But it doesn't mean power. Not every power five is better than Navy and Temple, but they they should handle them. I don't. I got a Twitter question about what happens if they lose, and I do not have an answer for you that can be on the air. I don't know. I mean, there would be a billboard. Yeah. Daily. Yeah, that would be. It would be amazing. You just can't. It's not a thing. I I don't foresee it. I can't. I don't foresee it either. All right, on that uplifting note, that's it for segment one of Irish Illustrated Insider. We'll be back with questions from our readers and Twitter after this. Welcome back to Irish Illustrated Insider, sponsored by Anderson, Augustino, and Keller Attorneys at Law. Big firm experience, small firm attention. They can be found on the internet at aaklaw.com. We're into Twitter questions and message board questions. Uh, I think these people have been saving them. Um, so <laughs> thanks for populating our final podcast before the season starts. We expect you to keep this up uh, for the next three months. First up this is a, a kind of an O'Malley special. It's from David Nichols. He wants to know, touches this season more for Tony Jones or Dexter William? Receptions, who has the most among Chris Fink, Kevin Stefferson, or Cole Komet? And then tackles Drew Tranquil or Greer Martini? Chris Fink, Cole Komet, or Kevin Stefferson. Yeah. Chris he, Fink. Chris Fink is will have. I mean, it could be ten times more receptions than the two of them combined. Is that you could have like three catches between Komet and Stefferson if things go wrong for the latter. It's possible. So, but Fink will have more catches than both of them combined. Um, the tackles one I'm going to hang on to. That's a tough one. So most touches, huh? I went Tony Jones over the course of the year. You better, you better have Tony yeah. Jones. He's a top ten player. In well, your mind. well, I think he's uh, make makes the most of his touches. Is part of it with catches and and other backfield. So Tony Jones most kept, most touches of those two. Josh Adams obviously more than both of them. Uh, Chris Fink for sure. 
barring injury. Uh, I think, you know, Cole Komet's going to be a great player, but the third or fourth fourth tight end is going to catch three passes this year. Um, Tackles is a great question. That's, uh, I will say Drew Tranquil, and it's exceptionally close. I think he might get a little more playing time in rotation than Martini because Coney is a clear rotation member. Tranquil would have to come out. He's not necessarily coming out in the nickel after talking um, to the defensive staff. He does sometimes, but he's a pass rusher in the nickel. In the 60s, high 60s, Tranquil and Martini. So right who, comes, who comes out nickel? Uh, I mean, Mar- I think Morgan is, is probably the one that should, but I don't know that he will. I, they, did, they didn't used to take out their middle linebacker ever in the nickel, but I think they love Martini on third down. Yeah. And Tranquil's a pass rushing yeah. threat on third I think yeah. so it's Morgan at times. Do they well, it's, have, a, it's, a def- it's a defensive lineman, too. Yeah. You take well, out Bonner. John, didn't Bonner come out? Yeah, yeah. he's the first yeah. to come yeah. out. Yeah. And yeah. then Tranquil becomes sort of like a stand-up defensive Right. They, have, hey, they will have Dalen Hayes and Tranquil on the edges at times. That'll be interesting to see who's coming off the edge in third down in passing, passing yeah. nickel situations because Tranquil, you know, if Bilal's going to play, that would be... That would be an opportunity for him to play. They, they, from Mike Elston to Mike Elko to Clark Lee, all mentioned Drew Tranquil's ability to get to the pass. I'm not, no, I'm not oh, saying not that saying he would come not. out. I'm yeah. saying that they could pair up, but you also have Dalen Hayes. Dalen Hayes coming off the edge as well. Why? Well, I, I, I mean, I think Tony Jones is the answer to the first question. I think Chris Fink is definitely the answer to the second question. I'll choose Martini because he's the buck and right. he's centrally located, so to speak, and in probably more opportunities to make tackles. I would go Dexter, Fink, and Martini. I, I think Dexter's going to have a really good year. I, mean, I think he's the, good the, too. the catch he made in the scrimmage, yeah, that, I <laughs> thought it was like, well, that's something Tony Jones would do. Oh, hey, that's Dexter Williams. Well, if Dexter Williams can do that and has the higher-end speed. But did you see uh, Deshaun Kaiser's tweet about that catch? I did not see Deshaun Kaiser's tweet. What did he Some things sure have changed in oh. South Bend. Oh. He never hangs on to these. And, Dexter oh. and everybody, everybody, everybody responded funny. Like, Dexter Williams laughed. That's a good was, one. Yeah, he was. So All right, next funny. question from Twitter is from IrishFan614. One player that was not hyped this preseason that you think probably should have been. Was anyone not hyped? It's hard to do. It takes me back 12 years to talking to Derek Landry at Fiesta Bowl Media Day. And some other out-of-town reporter was like, ah, it's good to see someone talking to defensive tackles. They never get the attention. I'm like, it's Notre Dame. Everyone gets the attention. Uh, Jay Hayes, speaking of that. You didn't talk about that much, right? No, we didn't. It was all Trebetti and Dalen. Let's say Jay Hayes for me. Yeah, I I mean, I think Nick Watkins, I don't know that Ah, we've said a lot about him. And offensively, I'm the one that always overlooks Durham Smythe. And Durham Smythe is the most experienced. And the guy that's probably going to log more minutes than anybody. Will he catch more passes than Alizé Mack? Probably not, but um, those are two I would throw out there. That's a great one, Smite. He didn't get – he's just not the uh, shiny toy at all, so he didn't get talked about. You could, he's like um, Kepper Lewis Moore-ish in 2012, where like <laughs> ev- nice. every interview of, with Durham Smythe is talking about the other tight ends in the same <laughs> way that every interview with Kepper Lewis Moore – more in 2011, I should say. Every question was like, tell us about Aaron Lynch and Stefan to it. I mean, it was it got ridiculous. All right, next question. Jeff Cizerenikowski. More likely 7-5 or 9-3. Well, 9-3 because that was my... Yeah. Twist I, my arm prediction. Oh, I, yeah, I, was... I'm, I'm glad that question was asked because I used to, back in the days when I yeah. did the, the 100 hunches, the last pick of what the record would be and what would be more likely. And usually I would say... 
for example, nine and three more likely to be eight and four. I I would definitely say more likely nine and three than seven and five. Let's make it tougher then. Uh, How about the ten over- and two or seven and five? That, that's tougher. That's seven and five, I think. But that's what I'm saying. Uh, it. You would say nine and three over seven and five, right? Peter? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so that's why I'm yeah. making it a little tougher. Ten and two or seven and yeah, five. Yeah, that's a, yeah. that's a little bit. I don't like either one. <laughs> Neither one will come to fruition. It's not an official right? Twitter yeah. question, so don't worry. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Next Twitter question is from Alex. He wants to know, Temple is leading at halftime. A, your reaction is A, it will be okay. B, here we go again. C, I'm going off the rails on a tr- crazy train. <laughs> well, ha- I mean, wow. you, any any person that's witnessed what's happened would have to say, here we go again. Yes, it would not be it. will be okay. That will, I mean, it could be okay, but that will not be my reaction. My reaction will be, here we go again. I told Te- I told Jack if Temple wins, I'm going to write my post-game Stanford column on Sunday. Because I know what's happening. <laughs> you got to skip everything in between? No, I'm going to be at everything, oh. and I'm just going to have that one done. Because I know what well, the I mean, yeah. the, the opening performance harbinger of the season. Yeah, there's a, there, that's that's. Let's see, yeah, have they had... Obviously, bad first half against Texas. They had to come all the way back. And worst first half in the history of sports versus South Florida. Great first half versus Navy. Great first half versus Texas when they beat them. It's a good there call. should be they great first half yeah. versus Rice. There they jumped all over Temple as well. Great first half versus Temple. Yeah. There should be no slow start. And the main reason is McGlinchey, Nelson, Mustafer, Bars. No slow start because of those four guys. I totally agree with you. But right. your reaction would be uh-oh, right? <laughs> well, yeah, some combination of uh-oh, <laughs> here we go again, holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, last tour question from Josh Jones. He wants to know, what's... An advantage or two that you feel like Notre Dame had in the 80s or 90s that is now gone. I'm stealing it from something I saw on our message board. I think it might have been late July, early August, and I apologize for not having the handle. That when there were more scholarships, um, 105 down, then down to 95 and like 92, I believe Pete said. Mm-hmm. Um, when they had the 105 in the Holtz days and built that program up, you could miss more at Notre Dame with your 105 scholarships because let's say you recruited uh, a linebacker core of Eric Simeon, Sean Smith, and Michael Smalls and they all end up transferring and they're all risks while you have other guys coming in. You could take risks because you could absorb the heat, the transfer. Now, we kind of just said, well, wouldn't that be true for everybody? No, because everybody takes more risks than Notre Dame. So your risks have to hit now. Your risks didn't have to. That is the off the field. I'm trying to find an answer to this question. Response: mm-hmm. Tim has a much more basic <laughs> and true response <laughs> to yeah, I mean, bottom I just, line. I, I, yeah. when, I hear where you're coming from, but if Nordame had 105, everybody else had 105. But they had, they could bring in anybody. I got you. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I get that, but but I mean, I look at more like uh, well, let's see. You had a Hall of Fame college football coach who went 64 nine and one in in six seasons. You had Vinny Serrato as your recruiting coordinator who lived for taking a chance on a player, which ties in with it your does, yeah. scholarship uh, number. But they had a, a, a physical approach. They were they were a dominant physical team. That was the way they approached it. 77 draft choices during the, during the Lou Holtz era. Now the draft was a little bit longer. It went right. 12 rounds. I had a breakdown. Uh, so there were more opportunities to be drafted. But, I mean, to me it was... Superior personnel and a Hall of Fame coach with Joe Moore as your offensive line coach. Right. I mean, the NBC deal is obvious. I mean, that was a huge 
differentiator back then. It's not now at all. Um, but I think to O'Malley, your point about the scholarships, like that was true in the Jerry Faust era as well. Well, they did not win a lot of games, but they had a lot of really they talented had players, players. Yes, which they is, had all players. I think, backs up maybe yeah. more what you're saying. And I will say, no matter what I say and whatever we say, trying to find reasons, Tim's point about the Hall of Fame coach, the Hall of Fame offensive line coach, and the Hall of Fame players was probably number one. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, and they were and, and the schedule was brutal at times. And Pete's thing about maybe if there's an extra hat in the box, they just ran for 10 yards anyway. Right. Yeah. I don't ever remember Lou Holtz saying we couldn't run the ball because there was an extra hat in the box. That was a new concept that came much later in my uh, journalistic career. Vic Irish one from your practice viewings, do you feel that we will see a noticeable and impactful change with Jerry Tillery? We hear a lot about the improvements physically of Andrew Trebetti, Dalen Hayes slash Jay Hayes, but not so much about Jerry Tillery. Do you feel he's bought into the new regime? I definitely feel he's bought into the new regime. Um, do I feel we will all see a noticeable and impactful change with Jerry Tillery? Uh, I think we will see a better Jerry Tillery, a more productive Jerry Tillery. I don't know that it's always going to be obvious. He's not He's not going to go from three tackles behind the line of scrimmage last year to 13. I don't think that he's that kind of player. Uh, but I think Nordings will be Nordings defensive line will be better because of his improvement this season. Without throwing in my opinion on it, first Mike Elston said midway through camp, I think it was 16 practices, he only had to get on Jerry Tillery one practice for not bringing the right approach. I assume that's quite different than the past and probably pretty good for any for most players if you if you come if you kept that up, if you had two not great practices, then that should be fine. Um, I'm torn between what Pete said that Tillery has to be great and what I kind of feel that he can be good. I guess if he's maybe if he's good, Notre Dame's eight and four, right? And if he's great, they're better. That's what you're kind of saying. That to, to exceed, I, I feel like Jerry Tillery being good is baked into my expectations for the season. Okay, so Jerry Tillery great. Like, we don't 12, think he'll be 12 games, What about Jerry 12 Tillery consistent? Yeah, what about consistent? Yeah. Consistently good. Not, con- But I would say he was great against Michigan State, so I want to like qualify what I would right. consider yeah. good and great. You, um, though Pete had a little insight on the conditioning thing because he was with Quentin Nelson quite a bit. Yeah, they paired him up with Quentin Nelson in the summer as a lifting partner, and Quentin Nelson was like, I give this guy my stamp of approval as he worked his ass off. And... I trust Quentin Nelson's opinion on that. But let's see. I, I mean, let's playmaker. I mean, you know, tackles behind the line of scrimmage. I guess that's my question. What if he is just such a good player they have to double team him and his stats aren't great? Is that fine? I think that's great too, don't you? As long as Jonathan Bonner makes some, some plays like, yeah. and we've never seen that, nor can we really envision that. Can no. you envision Jonathan Bonner being a playmaker in 2017? I cannot, but I can envision Trombetti and the Hayes brothers they are really brothers, okay. but both yeah. all being all being uh, <laughs> yeah. playmakers. So that could be. Uh, I'm Jerry Tiller. I'm going to put him down for nine and a half tackles for loss this year. Right. I'll start. Are you tracking. comfortable with that? I'll track it now. Okay. Okay. I and yeah, I would take that definitely. Okay. Uh, Jack attack ND. I understand their roles will be limited, but what kind of production do you expect out of the two freshman defensive linemen? Uh, that that would be on my list of things that I'm really interested to see this weekend because. Uh, I'm writing about the whole concept of the defensive rotation today, uh, and you look at the numbers last year, later in the season after Brian Mangorder got the boot, and if they're really going to rotate, 
then that means Tiger Bailoa, Mosa, and Kurt Heinisch are going to log 20, 22 snaps regularly. Um, if they blow out Temple, that won't be the case. It might actually it might still be the case, but they would be less impactful snaps. But well, they combined, can get eight. combined, you're saying? No, each. I mean each. Twenty snaps each. Yes. Like let's figure they play eighty five snaps. Do you think you're not going to ask Jonathan Bonner and Jerry Tillery to play seventy of them? You're probably going to ask them to play sixty five. Can you get the eighty five snaps? That means twenty have to go to those yeah. freshmen. What do you guys think about the juniors that? We've never played being listed on the depth chart. Do you think they're going to get five? I would say in a Jeff Collins world, they would be below the line. Okay. Because um, they have not been mentioned by <laughs> Brian Kelly at all. I like that. I don't know about your codes. Do you, do you disagree? Like, no, I don't. I, I'm wondering, though, if 22 snaps a game for Kurt Heinisch and Tagovailo. Wow. That's just... That, I think they would not I mean, I'm not up. disagreeing yeah. that that's what they need out of them. I'm just not sure that's going to be a very... Productive twenty to twenty two, and your reference right. to yeah. above the line, uh, Temple lists twenty seven offensive players, so they're like two and a half deep, and they list twenty two defenders, so they're too deep. So that would mean uh, Do Treadway and Tiasa would not be above the line. I right? feel like Do Treadway will f- find a role at some point this year. I'm not as as clear about Tiasum. I agree um, with you completely on that. That Do Treadway will play, and that Tiasum may not. And look, if in the in the eighty five snap world, uh, if Tiasum can give you five good snaps and Dutrydway can give you eight good snaps, oh, then it actually that means something. Yes, um, and that's realistic for a college junior. They, yeah, but they, I would hope they can, but they have never given a snap, good or bad, entering their junior year. But they've never been on the field, right? So that's tough. Now production for the two freshmen, um, the, obviously the best backup defensive lineman in the Kelly era ever were Schwenke, Springman, and Day. Let's remove Day, because he's a five-star freshman that was going to play no matter what. Schwenke and Springman, who I loved Springman as a redshirt freshman, backing up, they combined for 16 tackles. Three of them were for loss and three quarterback hurries. Now, Day was off the charts. He's 25 I mean, look tackles. how far they've fallen a three technique since Sheldon Day. Yeah. I mean, Jerry Tillery had three tackles behind the line of scrimmage last year, and now you're looking at Jonathan Bonner as your three technique. Sheldon Day had that as a backup freshman. Oh, yeah. Three and a half. Yeah, I mean that—that that is a and that right that right there as much as anything. When, when people say, well, what would it take for them to to be a ten win team? If I had to pick one position, it would be the productivity of the three technique. Yeah, and I don't, I, yeah. and they don't, they don't have a player like that now. They don't, not even, not even close to Sheldon Day. No, not even in the realm of. Comparison. Now that comment yeah. may come up in the next press conference. Whether it's a player or a coach talking about the defensive line being underrated, but this this is how I feel about the two freshmen. I think Pete might be right that they maybe combined for I'm gonna say combined for twenty five snaps against Temple. I wanna see if they combine for more than six against Georgia. Mm. Yeah, I mean they might not. Because I'm you know, saying that, you know, you need some faith in that because if they're in there and they don't have to be in together. <laughs> I think we always put them together. It's like they're Justin Brent and Corey Holmes. They have to be discussed. You that's could bring true. in one of them no, and that's be next true. To, to Jerry Tillery. You know, that's one way of looking at it. You, th- I, you, d- you have to bring in one. You have to bring in one at a time. You can't be taking out both of your starters and go to two freshmen. Yeah, and, and not that we've seen any evidence of this, but I mean, is there any reason why Jerry Tillery can't slide over the three technique at times? He's played it we, before. We, we haven't asked about it. We haven't yeah. seen that. They but, were, and they wisely wouldn't tell us. I think unless we brought it. Right. <laughs> it's not something but, that. 
Well, okay. So I mean, I'll just give you guys an example for for numbers perspectives because this is these are Stanford snap counts for defensive line. It was a low snap game. Okay. Um, starters: Isaac Rochelle played forty six. Tillery played forty six. Jaron Jones had twenty eight. Daniel Cage had twenty eight. Then you go down to Andrew Trombetti with twenty one. Jay Hayes eighteen. Jonathan Bonner nineteen and. Dalen Hayes, 18. So basically, it's it was a 2-to-1 ratio, starters to backups. If yeah. now you're facing 80 snaps, and you want to have a 2-to-1 ratio, that's a big number for Tagovailoa, Almosa, and Heinish. And Stanford had 60 snaps in that game, just a quick look. Or 60. They had 20 passes and 10. They had 40 runs and... God, that's beautiful. Forty runs and twenty passes. Yeah. So really, with with Rochelle, <laughs> with Rochelle and Tillery, is more, I knew it was, it was yeah, more like yeah. three to one. Yeah. So if there's if there's eighty snap, but that gets you to twenty snaps. If there's in an eighty snap game, that gets you to twenty for Tagovailoa. And that's Heinrich. why that's why I love this matchup for Notre Dame's defensive front this week because Temple averaged forty carries a game last year. Now they don't have an experienced yeah. quarterback. Um, Jeff Collins, I think, is going to have the same generally the same offensive approach that Matt Rule did. So they're going to run the football. So we're going to see whether Notre Dame's defensive front can handle a relatively inexperienced offensive line. Next question. Aside from just win on Saturday, what final score would satisfy you? A win by 7? A win by 10? Or will you just be satisfied? Will you not be satisfied unless Notre Dame wins and covers? I don't know what the implication is on that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what point spreads exist, yeah. exist for. So, I I mean, I guess if I think 34-17 is the range, I'd be able, I wouldn't be worried if it was 34-20 if Temple's touchdown came late. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't if it's if it is in any any in doubt with 3 minutes to go in the third quarter, the Notre Dame wins barring a miracle, I think it's a problem. I think Notre Dame has to be ahead of Temple by two and a half touchdowns. With twenty minutes left in that's the game, that's why it's Does a that good. Sense? That's yeah. why it's a good point spread, right? Right. right. I mean, I, I you don't have you know, to a lot cover. Of times, you just look yeah, like a lot covered. of times. Yeah. I mean, just to put a number on it is difficult because I mean, the flow of the game may be a little bit different. But just three guidelines: one, Notre Dame should score in the thirties; two, good one, yeah, they should they should cover the spread; and three, I don't think that they should allow more than seventeen points to Temple. Those are all good. One, no weather delays. Two, no overtime. <laughs> Those are the two things that would ruin my set. <laughs> wow. is, is there, is there, is there a bad forecast? No, okay, okay. Jesus, you're scaring yeah. me. Yeah, that was um, a long day at the office. Run the ball well, tackle well, and don't ever look down at Wimbush and go, hey, this is different than I thought it was going to look. Oh, that would be bad. <laughs> you know? You don't want to think to yeah. yourself, wait a minute. That would it's be not bad. his facial expressions. Remind me of Dane Christ. Like, <laughs> no, that's not that's not in Wimbush's game. But yeah, I mean, you can we can see him forcing something or making a bad read or sure. But that's not what I meant by this. Doesn't look like I thought it was going to look. Oh. I don't want him to. I want him to look I like think, a dynamic player that might okay. make a mistake. Whatever. Yeah, I don't want to yeah. see like an Everett Golson spring game six fumble type of like just ugh, none of that. Yeah, and I agree. You know, I agree with what you said. The whole thing about he hasn't taken a hit in three years—that that's blown out of proportion. But I do think, and I think we talked about this a few weeks ago, he has to—you know—he still has to make the right decision of when to hang in the pocket and when to take off. And that he hasn't done live in a long, long time without the threat of being hit. And that—that's going to be fun to watch because yeah. on TV, uh, maybe they will and maybe they won't. But like the whether you take off uh, or or chuck it, 
it's sometimes it's hard to see. Like he may take off for a, a six yard run, and you're like, well, that was a fine decision. But they're like, oh, Equimini St. Brown was twenty yards sure. wide open down the field. They just didn't see him. That's going to be something really interesting to watch live from that elevated position in the press box that you can't see on the field and practices, and certainly it just hasn't had the opportunity to play. The dissection of Brandon Wimbush begins, oh, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. every 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 movie makes will be dissected. All right, last question. Dip 98. Let's play over-under for Temple. Wimbush, I'll just, we'll go each one. Wimbush carries, designed or running for his life, 9.5. I'm saying under just because I hope. Yeah, it better be under. Yeah, I think that's a high line, so I'll say under. Over for Georgia, though. Out of pure yeah, necessity. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Equimania St. Brown receptions, 5.5. Over. Um, I think he'll catch five. I so agree. under. I'm going over on that one. Wide receivers with at least one reception, 4.5. Does that count? No. I'll still say there are at least, there. Are, not at least, there are five receivers that catch a pass. So over. Five wideouts? Yeah, wideouts. So outs. that doesn't, so Does running backs don't. Running back. I'll say, yeah, I'll say under then because the running backs and Mac and maybe another tight end will, will make the catches. Yeah, that's something based on what we saw in practice. It's a good line. It's a good I line. Think I think it's going to be under. Um, Josh Adams carries 12.5. Over. Definitely over. Yeah, I agree. Offensive line false start false starts <laughs> one point five. Well, okay. Tommy Kramer making is not only his first start, but he's good for play. He's, he's good. For he's good yeah. for at least one. <laughs> one other eighty-five uh, snaps. I guess it's a good line. Eighty-five times five. I think that's a lot of false start opportunities. I'm going under. More hope. I'm, <laughs> I'm the guy that predicted nine I, wins for crying out loud. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go under on that. All right, uh, I'll go over. Sacks, <laughs> two and a half. You got to show me on that one. I'll take under. Yeah, because the actual sack doesn't always happen, so I'll say under. I just hope it's not under 0.5. Over. You guys are giving the defensive line too much crap, like Mike Lewis said. I think they're going to have four sacks in this game. Nope. Crazy train appearances. 1.5. I've done some reporting on this. I know you have, and yes. I'm going to back up Pete Sam's reporting. It will be under, and it will be once, and everybody will be laughing and smiling when it happens, and it will be uh, just a joyous time with a new giant screen. <laughs> but it is going to happen once. Yeah. What's your intel tell you? I talked to Mike Bonner about it. I said, what's with Crazy Train? Are you are you going to play this? And he's like, we're going to play it one time. Oh, well, well, well. <laughs> I didn't even know that part. So, <laughs> so if he sticks to his guns on that, they'll play it one time, and that will be a comfortable under. Free money if you can find somebody to take this wager. Very quickly, and this is going to now be a press box Irish Illustrated wager for a beer. EQ, Fink, Claypool, and the two graduate transfers make five receivers for the catches. And they all score touchdowns, Tim. No, not that part. But they uh, <laughs> those are my five. I don't... I don't see Canteen and Cam Smith both catching a pass. I don't see. We haven't. We've hardly seen Canteen, so we just we don't know. And the starting receiver that's awesome. I get you. <laughs> I know. I just... It's not like they're coming up. Yeah, no, you're probably right. Those are my five. I'd like to see five it grabs. in practice before predicting it in the game. Yeah. Well, well. All right, we're getting slap that, happy. We're ready to play we're, some football. We're going to see this all on Saturday, and uh, that will be it for this week's Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. We'll be back Monday. Um, as you might imagine, we'll have a ton of content over the weekend. Instant analysis pregame, early Saturday afternoon. Instant analysis postgame in the evening. Columns from the three of us. Video interviews. 
game stories, analysis, report card, snap judgments, notebook, tail of the tape, notebook, maybe a feature in there too, and then all that by the time our next podcast records on Monday morning <laughs> at about 11.30. So you'll hear from us again in audio form then on our next podcast. Until then, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, Pete Sampson, thanks for listening.